would have the balls to grill me. Shows the day of her lifetime. <laughs> oh, flip. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you don't have the balls <laughs> to grill me. Hello. Very good. Hello, everyone. Ta! Huzzah! Flapjacks. Flapjacks. Flapjack. Flapjacks. I do. So, sometimes I uh, succumb to flap flapjacks. <laughs> okay. Hello, Josh. Welcome to ATT. You're very welcome here. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is my first time. Your first time on ATT. Don't worry, don't be nervous. You'll you'll take me through it. Yeah, I will, I will. So, um... So this is the first of um, a series I want to do about uh, Life of Moses. Um, I'm going to be using the Bible, and I'm going to be using... Uh, the book Gregory of, by Gregory of Nyssa, The Life of Moses. So I think I think we should start off uh, reading the Bible. Yay! Yes, it's a good start. Okay, so the very start here. Uh, Exodus 1, verse 8. Now, there, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them, and uh, to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, and all kinds of work in the field. And all the work they ruthlessly, ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, uh, one of one of whom was named Shifraf. And the other, when you serve as midwife to the other Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if she shall live, 
Nope, that's I skipped the line. If it is a son, who shall kill him? Who you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. And let the and let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew well, grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born in the, to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Okay, so I've prepared quite a few things to speak about, so I'll just... I'll get into it. Uh, so uh, Moses was born at a time of a tyrannical rule and what that would mean from episodes prior would be not a uh, he wasn't sacrificing himself for his people but instead he was devouring them by force. Moses represents the masculine that has the ability to threaten the tyrant by his very birth. This distinctly masculine attribute is not a bad thing. It's like a fire that burns within. He has the ability to forget fear, conquer challenges, and put the stability of the powers that be into question. Although not bad in itself, this can obviously be a vice, if not channeled through wisdom, for example, pointless writing and revolution, with no good thought to what could have been done better, no responsibility taken. In the situation, mm. so I'll I'll read a wee paragraph from this book by Saint Gregory of Nyssa. When that when we lay bare the hidden meaning of the history, Scripture is seen to us that the birth which distresses the tyrant is the beginning of a virtuous life. I am speaking of that kind of birth in which free will serves as the midwife, delivering the child amid great pain. For no one causes grief to his antagonist unless he exhibits himself in himself those marks which give proof of his victory over the other. Anything you want to say before I continue on? No, you're on a roll. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote a video of uh, a pastor called Doug Wilson, and uh, mm. uh, do you know him? Yeah. A has a show and uh, the interviewer guy has questions from the viewers so this is one of the this is what the questioner said uh, from a viewer in a talk it was described that we the church have a hard time spotting the actual traits of masculinity in young boys the example was a bunch of boys at the future men at a future men's camp and when it came time to shoot the bow and arrow there were several polite young men requesting when they might shoot and a boy who gets kicked out of the camp for shooting too soon. The point being that we are naturally incline ourselves to the to those eager to follow along, rather than realise uh, that the kid in trouble is probably the candidate for a future man. I was one of the polite boys. I feel the masculinity I was taught, brought up, taught, was anemic, and I'm ready to change. I'm struggling to see how I might do this without just being a jerk and asking uh, for forgiveness after each attempt. 
what are the practical ways uh, I can move towards a godly masculinity? And Doug Wilson says this. Genuine piety in girls, that is godliness, looks very different to genuine piety in boys. Piety in girls is institution friendly. For example, if you have a bunch of godly girls, they aren't going to be making life hell for the principal or supervisors or the teachers. They're going to be leaving encouraging notes and whatnot on each other's lockers. They're going to be picking up after themselves. They may say, how can I uh, pray for you? And you looked a little down this morning. That's the godly that is true godliness. But it's the kind of godliness an institution can see, recognise and appreciate. But if a teacher is walking down the hallway and walks by one boy knocking his friend into the locker saying, You fat head and it goes on, it would never occur to him to pursue to perhaps follow up on that to see if he might be a candidate for a faculty accommodation. But that guy, what that guy was doing, he found out that his friend had asked a non-Christian girl to out to the pre- the previous night. So he was exhorting his brother. If a young boy is masculine in the right ways, it doesn't look institution friendly. So consequently, many pastors, camps, schools overlook the potential of a kid who is a natural leader and has a lot of horsepower and we do your best to squeeze him out of the church. Mm. What do you think of that? That's very interesting. <clears throat> um, certainly in my experiences, um, and just obviously in modern society, this whole, even the saying the word masculinity, it's seen as something like, mm, it's seen as shied away from, seen as something that is negative. It's got some negative connotations. Um you know, you've got people that just go, oh, there's too much masculinity in this room or toxic masculinity or whatever like that. Um, but I just, I knew you can see that in churches these days. You can see that in a way of, you know, just sort of keeping everyone in line and just sort of, and I suppose that's hard. Like, I suppose that's hard for pastors to, you know, keep, you know, because they speak one message for everyone. And then so people then apply it to their lives. But then when it gets down to sort of a one-to-one basis or through SAP school or through just different um, sort of um, conversations, I, be- I do think the whole idea of being a boy or whatever, um, being a man, I should say, is overlooked, you know. Sort of like sit down, be quiet, be a good little boy. Instead of, you know, teaching people to, teaching guys to, Nail their colours to the mast, I guess. And yeah, even even just um, let's just uh, speak in very general, non-specificness, yeah, which yeah, yeah. I would not encourage. But let's just do it for the sake of <laughs> analysis. What's was the very first thing? I'm I'm doing this because um, I just what's the first thing that pops in your head? Okay, what's the first thing that pops in your head when you think of the stereotypical um, Jehovah's Witness who comes well dressed and knocking on your door? Two guys. What do you mean? To do? What's the first thing that comes to mind? I head? just think, oh, they're, oh just, no. they're, they're just like, <laughs> oh, they're just good little boys. They're just yeah. <laughs> School boys. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, like, uh, they, they don't demand authority, uh, respect. Yeah. I definitely don't think of that as the first thing. Oh, they come to my door demanding their res- me respect them. Yeah, listen to them. They're, I would, um, 
my first. Do you, you understand? Yeah, I understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I believe you know that's the kind of people the church is like holding the hands of. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's where they're directing them. And you can compare that to someone who, who I think was an incredible. He showed incredible bravery and masculinity. Was Billy Graham? Mm-hmm. You know, like he there was he had nothing to hold him back. He said what he needed to say in front of thousands and thousands of people. Yeah, uh, that that's masculine in my opinion. That's authoritarian, and you know, not authoritarian in like obviously the bad way, but you know, demanding authority, not because he wants it, because he can just get it. It's not like you can you can tell a person is powerful, where like a person isn't powerful when they say give me authority. You know, it's when they don't need to say that. Yeah. You know, that's like a, that's like a, that's a line in Game of Thrones. Uh, Tyr- uh, Tyrion Lannister, not Tyrion, Tywell Lannister is like, any man who says I am the king is no true king. Yeah. You know, so there's that then sort of aspect of, you know, what is it that you can do to be the king yeah. without telling everyone, oh, I'm the king, you know. Um, I've got to give an example. Uh, for example, boys like to colour outside the lines, not necessarily by a lack of skill, but by care. but by choice. Yeah. It's d- <laughs> pure d- being despicable. We just hate uh, in. But by choice. <laughs> this is an example of a miniature revolution. Yeah. So it is. Um, and another example. Um, this this is also uh, why I, I assume boys' handwriting is so much my, worse li- than women's. I was literally just thinking about that. My handwriting, right, is appalling. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely it's absurd. Appalling. It is so bad, right? And I have been drilled. I have been like I was kept in after schools just oh, just yeah. to get my handwriting fixed, just to, over and over and over again. But I I just wouldn't. I just couldn't. Same do with it spelling. Yeah. I just didn't care. <laughs> I just you're like right. It's like I know <laughs> what it's supposed to say, and you do because you know it's wrong. Yeah. So I don't care. I, don't, I mean, I'm dyslexic. I never care. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm never going to get it, man. No one's labeled as dyslexia, but no, no. It's my manliness. Sorry. Well, that's all right. Um, oh yeah. So, like, the thing is, I know full well how to write neat and tidy. Mm-hmm. I can do it. I just feel a great resistance in my very <laughs> being to do so just without a special occasion. What does no, that say? Just there's just no need, like, like the only reason I would like even attempt to write neatly is if I'm like obviously writing a card to my girlfriend's parents <laughs> or to her anyway. Like, like, like <clears throat> when I write something, I I fully expect them not to read any, like, not on, not be able to read a single word of that. I fully expect that. Man, we were wasted in school. Like. <laughs> Say again? We were wasted in school. We should have definitely had a chance. <laughs> That's the yeah, devil. I will get on to that. Oh, so good. What's this? I wrote uh, Josh's story. What is this? Ah, yes. Okay, I'll give a story. Um, <laughs> What's this? Story? All right. I'm going to tell Sorry. Um, when was the last time there was the, this messy, boisterous masculinity? in your church uh in my case it was it was a rare next to non-existent ex- uh, experience and then when it was prevalent it was shunned 
uh, I'll give a read on, but yeah. I do have one in mind. God bless the person who brought forth the recent idea. I say recent. Uh, idea of the men's night in church, but it was short-lived, to say the least. So I guess recent in terms of when... In terms of when church was still church. Yeah, <laughs> it was recent, before uh, C-19. Uh, for... I can say without hesitation that he knows what the void needs to be filled with. Anyhow, at one men's night, we, the men, were playing football before everyone uh, showed up. I was playing an intense game of footy with men from my church. That's, that's the height of which we engaged by... Uh, uh, where the height of which we engaged by was an occasional greeting, shallow to say the least. Yeah, and that one night, I ended up wrestling with one of the uh, older men, and compared to me, I guess, uh, for the ball, eventually selling him to the grind. And that in that game of football, we bonded more than all the years I ever knew him. This is this what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. I sh- that should not be profound. Yeah, but it is. Of all the years that you've had, it was just over a game of football that allowed such bonded, bond, bonding to happen um, I mean I can, I can give you an example my church right there's lo- my older church there's loads of guys my age there um, and we're all just being tubes like <laughs> we're just all hanging out outside and stuff and we would usually like take the bins out for the church and everything like that um, and just hang around the back of the church like that and stuff and well we got to a point where we all went upstairs right and me and my friend we just we just jumped onto a table you know, because we didn't know where to sit. And then, <laughs> and then basically... Well, imagine like, you literally just standing on the table, you just jumped up. And then, yeah, <laughs> and then... Um, you scooted onto the and table. And then, like, it was bouncy. So we were like, yo, this is kind of funny. And then we jumped on it again, and it broke in half. <laughs> it just broke. Um, and we were like, ah, no! And we all just had a big giggle, but we realised, ah, flip, now nah, it's not good. And then um, <laughs> some of us just bolted for the door and sprinted away. Some of us tried to fix it. Um, I, I, I tried to fix it like, we were like, ah, crap. Anyway, so then one of the elders came up and like how they handled it was completely appalling. Completely appalling, right? So this is how they handled it. I had to go home, right? It was home time. My parents are on the my family are on the car. I had to go home, right? This guy, right, held me back. And I was like, and he was an elder, right? So I should have looked at him from some respect, but through the course of my years in this church, there was no respect needed to give because just, I just felt like they didn't deserve any of the respect that I had because as a fellow man or whatever. Anyway, and so he held me back and he was like, I need you to give me a list of everybody in that room. And I went, no. <laughs> um, I, I went, no. <laughs> I'm not a tight lady. I don't, I don't appreciate that. Just a little revolutionary. Yeah. And then he went, no, I'm not letting you go. I went, what? <laughs> Why can you not let me go? I have to go home. And I went, give me every boy, every boy in that room. And I went, Why boy? What were the girls? And I, I don't think they were involved. And I went, Well, yeah, you'd be right, but I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway, so I had to. I wouldn't let me go. Like, so I gave him a list of all my friends, really, right? And then I just said, Right, it was only me and my my best friend on the table because it was me and him that broke the table. And I was like. Look, you don't need to give a list. It was only me and this other guy. And I went, right, you can go home now. And I went, right, thank you, finally. Anyway, and then next week, right, 
literally in the announcements, right, the same guy comes up in front of the entire congregation and goes, uh, we're going to not let children upstairs anymore because um, the table was broken and um, we have asked the families to donate 90 quid each uh, for so that table could be repaired. Mate, it's a flipping... That table, 90 quid each. To get a new table, it'll cost about, I don't know, 20 quid. <laughs> so me and my friend were like, flabbergasted. We were like, nah, no way. So uh, our parents, I remember hearing that. My parents, my mom and dad just looked at me like... And I went, how? But like, it was this idea of like, there's no forgiveness was no understanding there was nothing it was like i we're gonna you're an absolute troublemaker and if you don't pay this 90 quid you may as well not come back like that's not a church (laughs) that's like a institution that's a workplace that's a workplace environment you break workplace environment stuff you pay for it and of course like obviously i was like i mean it's right to obviously mend your mistakes like i'm not saying that that's not what i wanted to do i did want to right my wrongs but the way it was going about was like we're not going to forgive you until you give us something back or something like that. You're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to show you any, even afterwards, like literally, right. I wasn't allowed to go near any tables. Like I remember, I remember like placing some cups down on the table and the same guy, right. The same flipping guy. Oh, he's so annoying. He came out and was like, ah, get away from that table, Ben. I was like, are you serious? Right. You take, I make a mistake, right. You then hold me back to try and get yeah, us to the room. I am on a flipping ramp because there is no sense of understanding until you know you have to make sure that you end up on somebody else's level like that. I don't know, man. I just handled really poorly, in my opinion. But yeah, this why does this link into masculinity and stuff? There's a pride that we all have as men, church church going men. There's a sort of respect that we all want to attain, and me being at the age I was that respect was just developing and there's nothing that kills like when you're trying to get to that respect so let's say they're trying to climb that mountain of respectability the one thing the avalanche that flipping wipes you off the face of the mountain is other guys telling you that nah you you're not there yet in fact you shouldn't have even begun climbing this mountain in fact why don't you just sit there and we're going to continue to teach you and uh, we'll tell you when you're ready. But like, that's the most unman thing I've ever heard. Like, because you, you know, a bit like being masculine is not waiting for somebody to make you masculine. Being masculine is simply being masculine. <laughs> you know, you can't. It's not a. It's not a button you press. But where I came, where I came from, it felt like you know. Ah, ah, wait, 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 wait. We have to let you. We're we're gonna press that wee button, and then. As soon as we're ready, then you can do what you want to do. And you're yeah. like, bro, doesn't make sense. I'm going to give another short example. Uh, I was on a walk with uh, a friend, Mark Wilson, Woo! Uh, years ago. Well, maybe, oh. I don't know, two years ago. Three? He is in Liverpool. Though. Who knows? Oh, oh. I don't know that. <laughs> Very close friend. <laughs> uh, that's guys for you, literally. Yeah, two years ago. Oh, no, no, before this, I'm going to give a better example. I was talking. Ah, oh, you've told me this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know where it's going from somewhere. Yeah, literally. I, I was, uh, I was working, on a building site, and this this guy's brother of the guy's house lived next to. He was, he was driving about in a for, uh, in a old tractor most days. 
doing farm stuff, I guess. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, um, and just like one, we had, we had, we didn't really, we didn't really talk much. Not in a bad thing. Just like we just didn't talk much. And then like, I was listening to music, and he's like, "Oh, you boy, listen to." I was like, "Dire Straits." I was like, "Oh, that's interesting," because it was like I'm a young guy. He's an older guy. He's like, "Cause didn't expect me to listen to older guy stuff." Yeah, that's just too good. And that was. Uh, I was like, oh, that's interesting. That was pretty much it. And then two years later, I'm building the house next to that house that's for his other brother or cousin or something. Yeah. And we just continued that conversation. It's <laughs> like, Josh. It's just like, like, he's like, yeah. like so, so you're still listening to Dash No, no, he said, how you could someone like you listen to Dash Josh? That's straight. Two years. <laughs> like, I didn't even like... That's, that's guys. just guys though. that's guys that's just guys I, get, I have a conversation I have a conversation with my girlfriend about this right and like you know she's always like she's always checking in on her friends and our friends are checking in on her constantly you know and then like they get really worried that it's like oh flipping girl A, B or C haven't talked to me in, th- in a few days and they've left me on red I don't know what to do I have a good friend right lives down the road uh, Oshin, right? Probably my best friend, one of my best friends, and like I haven't spoke to him like at all the past two months, but I know for a fact that if I send him a wee text, like he'll be more than happy enough to give it a wee listen and we just talk about. It. I mean, I tell him to go for a walk, and it's like instantaneous, right? <laughs> and I told that to my girlfriend, and she's like, she was like, "When's the last time you spoke to Oshin?" And I went, "I don't know, a month ago," and she was like, "No, what, Ben?" How could you text him now? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit weird. I have nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, guys, if we have nothing to say, we'll just not speak. But that, like, two month example was that that's a very common occurrence. Yeah. But my example was just, just like, the extreme. <laughs> it's that. two years. And then the next thing you know, they uh, straight. Oh, yeah. Um, Mad <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll continue this example. I was on a walk with Mark around my house. My my territory, as I call it, young land young territory. Land. And he lettered. I just looked at him. He's like, "You need to pick that letter up. This is my land here." Um, young country. And he refused because uh, he's Mark uh, Wilson, obviously. So I pushed him into a ditch and made him pick it up. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> uh, and I just was was that was this a bad thing? I can tell you, no one could con- uh, convince me of this. Was it peaceful? No, not 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 entirely. <laughs> like a game of rugby uh, isn't entirely peaceful. Absolutely. But I do believe it was righteous. When I think back to it, I get a feeling. Uh, I get to the feeling you feel when you see a man do something truly masculine. And for that, I cannot apologise. <laughs> I am truly masculine. I have put for it was for it was no wrong, but good. Definitely not clean. Just like his trousers weren't clean after he stood up. <laughs> not institutional, not institution friendly to say the least. Mm. But good and proper masculinity, no less. Yeah. So why why am I doing this episode? Uh, this is a call for men to stand up. And channel that masculine fire. I know you have. Oh man. However obscured it may be, to channel it towards godliness. Is there something your minister said you disagree with or don't understand? Challenge him in love and showing respect, recognizing 
his authority, but be no pushover. Is there an injustice being done? Stand up and make known the issue, and not just stop there, but go fix it set yourself, and don't be a pussy. <laughs> and as fitting with theme, I would like to not apologise for the indelicate language. <laughs> Here, that fire that you're talking about, this is, this is incredible. Like, last night, right, I was talking to one of my really good friends, he was here to like one and uh, I was just talking to him about just obviously what it's like to be a Christian guy in society and I was telling him guys just have a fire inside their heart or soul that it is, is a fire it is, it is I a don't fire, know how to explain right? it otherwise like, and if you th- right and if you if you channel it towards God if you if you if you are trained up in the ways of Christ right if you live in a planet of darkness and you light a candle it's pretty easy to find that candle you know it may yeah. take time, but you know you will be able to see it from very, very far off, and you'll be like, "Oh, flip, that's new." But if you live in a planet of light, and I told you where's the dark, you'd never be able to find it, because light casts out dark. Like, like dark, you only realize something's dark when the light is next to it, right? But if the light is full, dark can't exist. It's the one thing, I think, where there's an imbalance. Light casts out perfect dark. Like, perfect light casts out darkness. That's that is a verse in the Bible. So I was talking to him about this, and I went, well, what, what creates a fire within a man? What, I suppose, how I thought about it is, what would be the one thing that would destroy a man? And I was thinking about this, and I was like, if you make a man a father to every sense of the word, to every bit of love he can muster, to make him the best father that he is to his family, and then to take away the reason he was a father, to take away that fatherly title. That's how you completely break a man. That's how you turn a man into a rabid wolf, to take away the reason he's called father. So there's that fire, as I said. It consumes whatever it touches. Like, not in the sense of destruction, but the sense of like spreading it. Well, sometimes there's a sense of destruction. Some, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the majority of people you fight in wars. Like, I mean, they're men. You know, football, rugby. You know, yeah, girls play it, right? But like, predominantly, the men's leagues are miles up above the women's leagues. But you know, I'm, I'm not saying that obviously to be sexist or crap. I'm just saying that as a fact. But like this fire that you talk about, right? It's just. It is literally, as I said, a fire. And if you tune that, like, uh, how I like to describe it, right? You can only be, there's only three things that matters in this entire planet. And if you had to, if, if you go out today, listen to this podcast, I'd probably recommend these, these three things that you remember. The only three things that matter in this life and that exist are wolves, are sheepdogs, and sheep, right? Now, Right, I'm gonna just give you a wee scenario here. Right, so you've got a farmer, okay? What's the most valuable thing to a farmer? A sheep or a sheepdog? It's a sheep because the sheep is what generates his income. The sheep is what, you know, gets him his food on the table and, you know, gives him, <clears throat> you know, obviously, it's it, he's a, if he's a shepherd, you know, you can't have a shepherd with a sheep, so he, that's the reason he is, right? And then you've got wolves who bite the farmer, scratch the farmer who howl in the night, keep him awake, who destroy the sheep, destroy his income, all right? They're destructive, destructive creatures. They spread their fleas 
to the sheep to the to the sheepdogs, and on the sheepdogs then, these tamed wolves, if you will. They protect the sheep, they protect the farmer. They share in the farmer's income. The farmer, you know, drops a slab of meat down for the sheepdogs as he eats his dinner, by the fire. To feign death with death. No, yeah, no. To feed fire with fire man be man that kind of idea the only difference is one has been tamed one has been trained because as I said one has been refined one has been refined exactly so what is the sheep Josh what do you think the sheep is uh, well I don't think there's one answer but, yeah uh, well uh, you were saying it's, earlier it's the thing well I think it's the thing that is to be protected mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so in the bible time and time again Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God it's the sheep as the as the sheep who is the final sacrifice so he's a sheep he's the reason we can be sheep dogs because he's the sheep he's the reason why God can generate an income what does that mean have like Christian followers have sheep dogs alright Jesus is the one flock is the one sheep lamb or the one sheep flock there we are so that's what we're protecting the name of Jesus Christ that's how that's the that's the basic first step in being a sheepdog to protect the sheep it's just recognizing what the sheep is but within every sheepdog there's a wolf right and the wolf is destruction the wolf you know as I said bites God bites the farmer takes from him and claims it for their own, devours anything that even relates to them for their own personal gain, for their own, you know, they hunt to survive. They hunt the message, they hunt Jesus, they hunt the sheepdogs. They can, can sometimes convert sheepdogs. Can sheepdogs run off with them and end up being consumed and killed later on? But only the farmer can capture a wolf, tame a wolf, train a wolf to love itself and the farmer protect the sheep to love the sheep and, and it's really interesting how we live in a society where they say dull your fangs dull your claws you don't need to go in harmlessness is a harmlessness virtue. yeah like being a sh- if you're a wolf right and you then become a sheepdog i think your fangs are sharpened your ears your your, your senses are heightened you see yeah. farther. It's not just you see. You see into people. You see into the hearts of men through this lens that God gives us. That perspective. That's the one thing that separates us from actual animals. If you're a fish, right? Could you imagine if a fish thought it was it, it could think like God? You know, if a fish, right, is in a bowl, right, all it can perceive is what's ever in that bowl, right. So if it believed, if it could think like God, it could perceive that, oh, wow, I can manipulate, I can add water, I can take away water, I can put stones in my bowl, I can take away stones, I can actually fly, I can go outside the room that the bowl is in, I can manipulate the room. That's what would happen if I was God, but I'm just a fish. Human beings, right? We're just, not in an evolutionary way, but like, say we are sort of fish, right? We are fish, right? In a sense of but different because we have that God complex, right? We can imagine ourselves being different. We can take our zoom out and take our lives and manipulate them and change them and add things and take away things and sort of, it's like shuffling a deck of cards, you know, to any sort of way you want, any sort of power, the possibilities are endless, right? 
so that perspective is what separates us right that god's like god image of god that we have and that's the most important thing about being a wolf or not a wolf uh, a sheepdog it's because we can perceive more that's what i mean by heightening our senses we perceive more with the fire inside of us we are still a canine we still have the same skills the same things that make us a wolf but we use it for family we use it yep. for um our faith so what's what's the, th- the, th- the the three main things i think that keeps a person going family faith and mentality all right so i've talked about faith right faith is a sheep and you know train yourself up in the faith you know read the bible listen to podcasts blah blah blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right so that's faith all right probably the most important thing is faith right then the second most important is family now family is not just you being a kid and growing up in that because it's sort of this nurture against nature kind of thing right if you're a guy right your nature is as i said we said that flame your nature is the wolf yeah but your nurture how you are you brought up that's the sheepdog you know so there's that then and then once you have you in your own family once you have pups of your own you know that then increases the fire inside you you then will have more of a reason to target your faith put your to put the faith into your children bring up your children as sheepdogs bring up your children to protect the sheep to put everything you have to put the, every fiber of your being let's like the name sheepdog it wouldn't exist without the sheep so the name christian wouldn't exist without christ you know it's so interconnected and so perfect the um the Vi- like in ancient times when the vikings were um or the barbarians i guess that uh, ruled sort of the the western side of the known universe so i guess the up north the vikings as well as like the pre like uh, refined civilization of uh, england and britain and stuff before Christianity came, they were just they were just barbarians, mm. and only after Christianity did you get the idea of the noble knight that sacrifices himself for the the weak, mm. for the needy, and the or, the orphan. Mm. Is this refining of the 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 beast, this uh, this forging of a sword? And yeah, I'll, I've I've got something I want to get to. I'll I'll give a few more examples. Yeah, and then I'll course, get to this uh, example. Then we can see what we can talk about. Um, for the greatest male bonds I have had with other men and boys, have came not through clean, polite obedience, but through messy, physical, and opposing a such questioning behaviour. Is this a sin? Is this inconsiderate behaviour? Is this the proper way to love? To that I say, with certainty, I have the greatest love and respect for my brothers who who I have, quote, made life hell for. A good example would be my computing teacher in school. He was very crude with us, boys. He made jokes at our expense. He didn't back down to our opposition and even threw pens at us when we made fun of him or were just being plain stupid. He pulled prank. We pulled pranks on him all the time, and he returned the favor. Favor, is this unrighteous? By no means, for this teacher is the teacher whom I held at the highest respect and had great love for. So this is an encouragement for men to act like men, for the glory of God, for men and women to realize the immense differences in nature they have, and to recognize 
and have a great indescribable love for each other and the differences they do have and how that allows God to be glorified more effectively, not less. This is also for those in leadership to recognise true masculine godliness and instead of dismissing it, call for it, encourage it, sow the seeds for it, refine it through proper discipline. Like a piece of metal is sharpened into a sword, so it is even more effective and not less so. This is for the godly men to lead your younger brothers in Christ in the way of godly manliness. Not through intellectual words, but through trial and discomfort, through real action, with real physical touch. For theories have no power and cannot persuade easily in themselves, but through action can someone be moulded. Amen and glory to God. Mm. Mm. When I say it's a fire, it's like, you get the sense of, if this was oriented correctly it nothing could stop it yeah no i mean i yeah no 100 as i said earlier about how to lose how to make a man grow wild is to take his, the, the reason why he is a fire away to make the fire go out of hand like there's nothing nothing could like you have a bunch of movies about this you know or like a soldier right his family are all like murdered or something and then he goes against his government and his back like it's this raw manly fire that literally nothing can stop it until he burns out nothing can stop it until the reason why he's targeted against it is consumed the um for example just to show the difference between men and women um the no- right just quickly the novels that men find engaging are heroic novels mm-hmm. okay of the the hero who goes off to conquer and just defeat the dragon and win the virgin in the tower mm-hmm. the uh, stories women find engaging are stories focused on the relationship with a man after um, the dragon like think of um, wherever twilight the whole story is taming the beast women find that very intriguing mm-hmm. they find this beast of a man and they want to tame it yeah I mean that's, that's the whole bad boy paradox that, you know exactly. why girls like bad boys because they feel like they can be a good effect in their lives that's exactly yeah whereas a and man, that's and that's what women do they tame men it says in the bible so I talk about men being sheepdogs and Jesus being the sheep and God being the farmer and the, the, the tame and the, and the hunter and everything like that uh, the trapper I should say not hunter um well then what what are what are what are women all right women are like you can be a sheepdog as well like in the sense of christianity but jesus says you are my brothers my sisters and my mothers he calls he calls all men are jesus's brothers that's what he says men who believe in him but then he calls women his sisters and his mothers not his daughters his mothers jesus had a sense of and look at all the people he visited look at um mary magdalene's house um with the two sisters there like jesus was in every sense of the word behaved in a way that was sunlike to older women to the hospitality that he showed 
that they showed to him. So in that, my metaphor, in my picture of a farm, what are women? Women are the entirety why sheepdogs hunt wolves or protect sheep. Women are the reason, or that's sort of like a glue that binds it all together. Because as I said, about a family, right? If you take away, I keep saying, take away a reason for the father to be a father, he will go mental. So it's literally like the prime thing. It's like the fuel that keeps that. We talk about fire. The fuel is our lives, our families, our loved ones. If if women women did not play their role, uh, there would be no the taming of men. There would only be wolves, yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's profound, actually. If women weren't, designed to be in this in a, in a, it's designed to be I'm just going to say to be I'm not going to say anything because I don't believe I have the right to say what you're, you're all meant to be but God has this thing that you're meant to be so to be that right and for men to be what we've already discussed that is perfect harmony that's how men are tamed and that's how families are created and up, brought up through love you know, and you, you you were talking about the knights there. What I thought was really interesting, and um, you look at the samurai in feudal Japan. New, that was like one of the last places Christianity was brought to, and when it was brought to, a few years later, they it made it extinct again. The the samurai code bushido is so profound: honor, family, truth, honesty. Um, you know, they've the, the, it's a it's a code of seven. I can't remember them all though. But like that is so, like, masculine and like, it is biblical because it's human. Like this is this is something that people don't quite understand. The biblical story is the human story. It doesn't matter what culture you come from, what heritage you have. You have the same human story as everybody else. You still have the dragons to overcome. You still have a sense of honor, a sense of morality, a sense of family that the Bible talks about and it makes sense of. It all adds up together. Like we add ourselves to the Bible we, to create a sheepdog. Essentially, that's that taming process. Anybody can be flipping sheep dog it doesn't matter where you come from it doesn't matter what kind of wolf you wear an alaskan wolf a, a siberian wolf a fox any sort of predator can be tamed to be a sheep dog can only you, by can bring up that passage i told you yeah. yeah so so also to talk about the opposite female approach is how is also good read on yeah so this is just first peter um chapter three um, one, wives and husbands. One to seven. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adoring be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, is very, very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered 
show honour to the women as the weaker vessel. That is controversial, but... Let me explain. Yeah. Show honour to the weaker vessel. A woman is the crown of a man. Mm. It is she's the flower on top of the mountain. Is <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, she is um, she is the priceless vase to a sledgehammer. As in, uh, I watched a video. I think it was Doug Wilson's uh, as well. I know his pastor. It was Pastor John. Yeah, he described he was talking about that passage and it was a sledgehammer is obviously stronger than a priceless vase but it's by no way more valuable Mm. and when you lift a priceless vase from one shelf to another you show delicate care you're elevating its honour by your attention you're showing to it like a sledgehammer I can chuck across the room and and I'm I'm not having care for the sledgehammer. I'm gonna like care for what I hit with them. Like, oh, you know, where am I gonna put this? I'm gonna yeah. destroy something. This is this is what I mean. It is is good? It is good that a wife urge the husband not to go to war. However, it is it is the man's duty to go to war? Is one reason he'll come back and fight. And like for example, um, your girlfriend's gonna get annoyed at me because uh, I'm gonna briefly mention her. Oh. Um. Uh. One episode, we made fun of our friend Kelsey, mm-hmm. and your girlfriend got annoyed at that. That is good <laughs> that she got annoyed at that. Yes, I'm glad that she got annoyed at that. She like she's. That's what she's for. Pure. Yeah. It's good that she got annoyed at that. I'm not putting that down, but you know. The man must go to war. The man must go to war, like... Yeah. She's going to hit me. Yep, but actually... Uh, uh, <laughs> I think re- we should wrap up. So. Yeah, we should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll probably have more to say on this topic, because as I said... Because uh, that was the first the chapter. first chapter. It wasn't even on Moses' birth. It was the fact <laughs> that his brethren were being killed. Mm. Right, well... Um, yeah thank you so much for listening please uh give us a wee like uh comment subscribe do send us a wee message uh we love to we love to get them we love to uh, have a chat and um if you do want to you know you know meet up or whatever honestly we are just a wee dm away follow us on um accessory to thought on instagram and uh yeah thank you so much for listening goodbye goodbye